we're going to go right back to where we began last week in 2 Corinthians 13. Paul has written to this church defending his apostleship. He's told them in the first epistle, repent of their outrageous behavior, immorality, uh, prostitution, uh, suing each other, uh, church political fights, rivalry, uh, people living and having uh, conjugal relationships with their own mother. All, just It was debased. It was bad. Paul had called all of them, repent, get your act together. He comes to 2 Corinthians. He has to defend himself because some of them who refused to repent were listening to false teachers, false apostles, who were disparaging Paul, that he's a fraud, his gospel's a fraud, his Christ is a fraud. So Paul's writing them again. He's getting ready to come visit them for the third time. And uh, he raises the subject in verse 5 that since some of them had not repented of sin, they were still living while and were now not only in sin but were opposing him, uh, he begins to write words like, 13.5, and today we want to take the examination test. If I were to ask you, are you sure you're going to heaven? Are you sure? Uh, I would give you this kind of an exam and see if you could pass. Uh, and so let's think of this, three things. What God has done in our lives before we ever come to Christ. What, what he did and what he is doing. Two, what is it that makes you come to Christ and actually appropriate him instead of being outside of you, but get him inside of you? Your eternal life isn't Christ outside of you. It's Christ in you. How do I get him inside? Okay. And then I would just like to give you five characteristics of people that he has come inside of and to see, maybe think of yourself if you're taking a little exam, we give you sermon uh, notes there. To just, I take this test. Uh, we said last week, uh, faith alone does not save. Faith in faith doesn't save anybody. Your repentance does not save if Christ is not what you're reaching for. Your religious works will not save. Uh, here Luther is the classic example as an Augustinian monk, even visiting Rome, and while on the steps realizes that he cannot atone for his sins, he cannot, uh, he cannot do enough penance to ever know that he's going to heaven. And it, legalism won't save all the things that people try to add to the gospel. In the book of Galatians, they were saying, Gentiles, you must be circumcised. You must adopt kosher rule. You've got to become Jewish to be truly saved. Rules, 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 rules. And all the church rules. Many times, you can get in church and lose Christ. You're in the midst of ritual, maybe, rule expectation, all of this stuff, 
And matter of fact, you can backslide in the pew because you said, I'm sick of church. Are you sick of Christ? If the church doesn't belong to Christ, and we're going to start a series next week called Why Church? Why Church? And we're going to look at God's purpose for you and his family, and his family's called church. Who cares less if we, we keep saying, I'm going to church, meaning a location. Guess what? You're the church going to the building. Because there's the church gathered and the church scattered. You represent Jesus Christ and his church all week, even on your job. Don't tell them what local church you go if you just cuss them. No, no. Don't advertise us. Don't even advertise Christ. The church, we want to find out what that is. So let me name you some things that God does for sinners before they've ever saved. God could say this to all of them. I have been loving you from eternity past. I love Deuteronomy 7, 7. The elders were reading that last night. God says, Israel, I have loved you because I have loved you. It's beautiful. You look at it, verse 7 and verse 8, Deuteronomy 7. And he said, I didn't love you because you're numerous. I didn't love you because you're easy to get along with you. I loved you because I decided to love you. What do you think about that? And guess what? God decided to love you whether you ever love him back. God gave the son, uh, I was telling you last week, the son did not talk the father into loving you. God loved you before Calvary. His love moved him to sacrifice his son for you. And he said in Romans 8, if he did not spare his own son, will he not with him not give you all things? So God loved you before you ever came to him. Uh, according to the Hebrews, God kept you alive until he could save you. He said he sent, his, he sent spirit beings to watch over those who were about to become the heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1.14. You know what that means? The reason you didn't die from the overdose is God said, I've got to keep you alive long enough to save you. The reason you didn't have that accident that would have killed you is God had to keep you alive. Has anyone here almost almost died? Anybody almost died before you were a Christian? Why did you make it? God said, I'll tell you why. I'm, I was keeping you, I was watching over you before you asked for my help. I was there. Matter of fact, I invaded your mother's womb when you were former lady, and there would seed and sperm begin to grow in an embryonic state. I was there orchestrating your birth. You're going to at least breathe heavy. This is heavy stuff. This is wonderful. I mean, uh, you, God attended from your mother's womb on. He attended your actual coming together and being born. Matter of fact, he determined your intelligence but it did determine whether you'd use it. <laughs> that is somewhat convicting. He gave you the IQ. That doesn't mean you're smart. 
you act like an idiot, I don't care what your IQ is. Huh? Well, didn't get a witness on that. It's okay. Uh, he, uh, he called you by name. It's an interesting verse. We don't have time to go into it. My sheep hear my voice. When are you the sheep, before or after? That's interesting. Uh, he uh, had to work on you to make you alive because when he found you, you were dead. So Ephesians said, you were dead in your sins. Verse 5 says, you have been made alive. Well, when did you make me alive? Well, you had to make me alive so I could even believe. Dead men aren't good at believing. They don't know how to get out of the coffin. Well, who made me alive? Who, who enabled me to even see it? I, I rejected this so Why has Christ all of a sudden become the only thing? What's made him attractive all of a sudden? God rent the veil. He did that for you. You didn't rent the veil. He did. He made you see how wonderful Jesus is. So why didn't I ever see it before? The veil had never been rent. Matter of fact, this would blow you away. If you got it, if you don't, just go ahead and yawn. He chose what size family he would have from eternity past. God, some way, and I'm amazed, wanted us in his family. And you never know that he wanted you until you get in the family. But it's amazing to even know that you're in it. And when you find out, how did you get in it? It's not like my mother saying to my dad, I don't want any more children, but I'm pregnant. And that was me. Uh, you know, what a welcome. We didn't want you, but we'll keep you. <laughs> God didn't have accidental births. God, God's into family planning. From eternity past, okay? So all of this went on before you ever uh, even got on the scene or even ever thought about it. He, he's protecting you. He's weaving you. He's molding you. He's loving you. He's guiding you. He's watching over you. Said, whoa, you mean when I was out there nightclubbing and in sin and this and that? Oh, yeah. He was there. He was there. It's the only reason some of you are alive. Most all of us. Now, what response to all of this does God want out of a sinner? What does he expect? Look at Romans 3. If you don't know where to go in the Bible, go to Romans. Romans, I want you to underscore with me every time I say the word faith or believe. The first response God wants from us is, will you believe me? Will you believe me about my son? that he has been given as my payment for your sins. Will you believe me? Will you believe me? Now watch what he says. He's saying instead of the law making us right, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to us, 
the righteousness of God through through faith. Uh, put a circle. In Jesus Christ. See, not faith alone. Faith in the object of our faith is what saves. Just faith doesn't save. You got to have the right object. Well, I believe. What do you believe? There are many gods. I believe this. I believe. Uh, who cares? Do you believe in Jesus Christ alone? That's the thing you want to remember. Now, watch this. We get a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for all who. Faith is a noun, believe is the verb. Same word. Pistis, pistuo. Same Greek word. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfactory payment by His blood to be received by I want this to be a corporate response. I don't want three people getting it. You can read the verse. Look at me and say, you respond. Say, say the word. Faith. Faith. Thank you. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in justifying the one who has in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of? Wow, you got it. For we hold that one is justified by? Apart from the works of the law. Or isn't God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Verse 5 of verse chapter 4, we looked at last, to the one who does not work but believes, there's faith again, there's another the verb, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his is counted as righteousness. You can receive Christ if you'll believe him. You can have the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, if you will believe what God has said about his son. He will come into your heart, wash your sins away, and wash you and make you brand new. Look at 1 John. He wrote an epistle to tell you what Christians should look like and the normal change that comes. Look at verse 12. I'll pick up verse 11. 
And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in our good works. Anybody looking at the verse? Well, yell at me earlier. Chapter 5. 5. Man, you're not walking in the Spirit. I mean, come. <laughs> chapter 5, verse 11. And, okay. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. I write these things. I've written them in this epistle, five chapters, that you, to you who in the name, the character, the person of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know that you've got it. And the only way you can know it is have I exercised faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the difficulty. Faith uh, has so many meanings. Uh, let, let's say there's three parts to faith. Nosha, assent, and fiducia. Okay? Knowledge. Knowledge. Uh, do, you, uh, do you believe in planes? Why, sure. Factual. Do you believe this? Yeah. I, I give uh, I, the facts. I've been told facts. I believe they're true. What about assent? Do you really give assent? You know, uh, it was an interesting thing. I went to uh, Hume Lake one year at a pastor's conference and with Carolyn and with Rich and Luanna and Rollins. And we're there. And they've, they've invented all kinds of stuff there, primarily for kids, not for crazy pastors. And, and one was you get up in these trees, and they got the uh, ropes across there, you know, and, and you're supposed to walk across and, and, and hoping you don't fall. I think I had a harness, thank the Lord. And uh, Rich wouldn't even get up there. Too much strain on the rope. He just wouldn't do it. And uh, send this to Rich. Uh, uh, but, you know, he knew better, but Boney Maroney went up. And I got up there doing everything. Everything's fine. This is no big deal. I've always been a climber. Broke my leg by doing it. Guess what? To get down, they had a thing. You just step off. And, and uh, they're watching me. Because I believe I could step off and survive it, factually. But I struggled there for a while to give myself a scent that I could do it and that I would. Then I had to make a committal leap. My wife had a riot because I went flying all over the place. <laughs> but you know, it, it's one thing to get up there Will you do it. I mean, you know, no, they do it all the time. But that giving that consent, there's a lot of things that way. 
will you? And you know, that's what boys go on, dares, dares. I dare you, I dare you. It's the one thing, oh, I could do it, I could do it. Did you do it? Did you survive it? And here, faith is committal of oneself. I trust you to do what you said, and you said you'd forgive me that you took my place. Now, involved in this, in the Gospels and in Acts, we have about 20 places where he talks about repent at the same time you're believing. And repentance meant, first of all, to change your mind. It was used interchangeably in Acts between faith and repentance. So what is repentance? I change my mind primarily about who Christ is. Because Jewish audiences had been taught he was a false messiah. He was not who he said. So what happened in them, day of Pentecost, repent. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Change your mind about the one we just killed on a cross. Have you changed your mind about him? And then it involved turning, because it's based on a Hebrew word, and it meant turning. And First Thessalonians says, you have turned from idols to serve the true and the living God. I changed the direction I was headed. I turn and I come to Christ. I'm no longer pursuing the life of sin. I'm no, I've changed my mind. My conduct may not have changed yet, but I've had a change of thinking. I'm making a choice. I've been over here. I've been enslaved to this. All of a sudden, I've got a new appetite. I've got a new desire to go a new direction. And then there was something else that happened. In the mouth, especially, especially in the Gentile world, polytheism, many gods reigned. Jewish world, they were still looking for Messiah. But guess what happens in the heart of those that he saves? No man can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Nobody will call Jesus accursed who knows him. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is a fraud, Jesus is a joke, he is a false messiah. No, no, no. You confess he is Adonai. He is Lord. He is Master. You haven't named him that yet, but you've got to recognize he is the boss. He is the boss. He'll spend the rest of his life with you, teaching you to treat him that way. But salvation said, he is Lord. He is the one and only God that can save me. Now, I want to ask you this. Have you ever believed what God said about Jesus and your sins? Unless you do that, you have no right to think you're going to heaven. If you're still trusting your works, ritual, churchiness, all of that stuff, none of that saves. Baptism doesn't save. Uh, repentance doesn't save. Faith doesn't save. Unless it's repentance towards my attitude toward him, faith in him. Then all you say is, I receive you, Lord Jesus. God has enabled me to believe the truth about I want you. I want you. Now, 
This easy believism that says, oh, I believe, I do this, and there's no change, no turning. That is a false gospel and a false conversion. God doesn't save anybody not to change them. You're under construction. He's making you something brand new. Now, there's five things that are simple things to see in those who know Christ. Take this test. See if they're in your life. Five things. Number one, John 13, 34. By this shall all men know you are my disciples because you are always right. You are whatever. You are perfect. No, you will love like I just loved in this upper room. He said, I give you an example, and I'm the example. And he stooped to serve. Uh, it was an amazing love. So it is basically the love of God is gushed abroad in your heart the moment you receive him. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been gushed abroad in our heart. Two, you will love to obey him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, look at uh, 1 John. John gives about seven characteristics. We're just trying to move along and give you a sample. 1 John 2, pick up uh, verse 3. 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we... You said it. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Look at chapter 5. Same, same theme. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Kind of that uh, John 13, 34. You love the family members. Now, I know some families hate each other and fight, but it's abnormal. It's wrong. Uh, he just expects those born in the same family. There's a mutual, a family love. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, now somebody says, well, we're not under the law. Who says we were? We're under a new law, the law of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm not under the law of Moses, but I'm in law to Christ. Which means, Christ said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. His primary commandment is to love. Love one another, love God. But obedience, obedience becomes our natural response to this God. We, and he says, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. You remember Jesus said, take my yoke on you and you'll find it's easy. I'm not putting you under the yoke of Moses or the, the law. 
I'm putting you under me. Obey what I say, the one who died for you. Now, do you find it easy to obey God? We'll just have silent word of prayer, just kind of. Uh, I mean, uh, is it your bent to want to obey and please him? Is it in your nature to want to obey him? That doesn't mean you do all the time. We, we keep 1 John 1, 9 in practice. We keep it oiled. We're confessing all the time and repenting all the time. But it is in the bent of those who have met God, it is in their new nature and bent, the seed of God, to obey. And on the other hand, 1 John says, those who know God stop practicing sin. Now here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Still. Uh, well, I, I didn't get the answer. How many say uh, we're a sinner? Okay. These pray for this side. Uh, how many say we're a saint? Who's right? can't be a saint and a sinner at the same time, can you? I, I can't hear you. That's right, Luther. Luther had a, a statement in Latin. We're both at the same. When are you justified? When you're ungodly. Is that right? Romans 4, 5. I was teaching at a camp one time. Um, and his pastors in a holiness setting. And I just taught this verse. That whenever we sin, while we're sinning, Christ is advocating. And two pastors nearly threw me out of the conference. I had to stop teaching after that day. They, they didn't let me teach anymore. So that is, that is absurd. He can't be advocating for you while you're sinning. I said, well, that's what John said. So, well, you're, you're, you're acting like we could sin and still be saved. I said, you're getting close to it. That's right. And that was a mystery. It was bothered me in my young Christian life because I thought you can't be both. Can you? I'm justified before God. He's changing my desires. But I can't tell you how quick I went off when that guy pulled in front of me without warning me. I, I didn't pray a blessing on him, I'll tell you. And, uh, and, and you know what? If you don't believe this, you need to get married. How can I love a woman so much that I disagree so much with? How can she be so wrong when I love her? How can she be wrong? Hey, hey, learn to live together in peace. Let her have her way. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, tension. 
And, and so we're both. We're set apart. We're called a holy living. But don't kid yourself. We sin. We can think wrong. We can be irritable. We can all that, that just be set sinners. We're both. And I think you get with some groups, they keep trying to act like they never sinned and they're liars. And that's what First John says. You say you don't sin, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. But then he goes over to chapter 3. He said, by the way, he that is born of God does not practice sin. Uh, I do not stand up in a meeting and say, I am still an alcoholic. You might be, but you need not be when you come to Christ. He will break the chains. He will let that be a part of your past. I, I've been immoral. I've been an adulterer. I've been all... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. You were these, but now you've been washed. Now you've been cleansed. Now, now that is in the past. What? I've got a new direction, new appetites, and these things. Are, I used to be a bad cusser. Well, wait till God works on you. And, and after the Spirit grieves in you, and after the Spirit is quenched in you, and he said, Lord, I didn't rob a bank. I just cussed the guy. And God said, you did something I don't produce in my children. Your language betrays your birthright. Cut it out. Let no filthy communication come out of your, your mouth, but only speech that edifies the other person. Well, you're not in an edifying mood when you're cussing a guy. Uh... 70% of men in evangelical churches are supposed to be hooked on pornography at least once a week. So get this. Look at the dilemma we have. That means if that's true, I read it all the time, 60 to 70%. Pete Knight's been offering a class to help men struggling with purity. And in the st uh, statistics I hear like that, if that is true, just like what that does to a congregational meeting that comes together to worship. That means, Paul said, I want holy men to lift holy hands representing their life. That means seven out of ten men in this auditorium are disqualified from praying because you've been watching fornication all week. Do you get it? Did you hear what I said? That's seven out of ten men. If that statistic was true of this congregation. You can't watch naked women all week and come to church and worship. And if you keep up, keep up, you might give evidence that the seed isn't in you. You may start there. You may have grown up on it. I know many a man, military, whatever, they grew up on pornography. When do you lay that off? And when do you say, according to Romans 8, 13, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. But if you don't, you shall die. Romans 8, 13. The famous thesis of John Owens, how to deal with the flesh. It's not that you don't. It's not that you haven't. It's where's the direction of your life. Is the practice being broken? Speech, lust, uh, like, oh, I still hate my mother. I, I still hate, I see people at church, well, I'm still hurt. Well, you've been hurt 15 years. Are you going to forgive? Well, I don't feel like it. You're giving evidence you don't know God. 
But you don't know how wrong they were. If Jesus from the cross can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Friend, let me tell you, God says you can forgive. It's you won't forgive. So, um, we know true believers by how they love. You know, I, um, I have to say, since I've been with many groups of believers, okay, Pentecostals, Free Will Baptists, uh, Regular Baptists, uh, Mennonite Brethren, uh, went to a separatist school in Denver, Colorado, went to Dallas, which is multi-denominational, uh, went to Golden Gate, which was Southern Baptist. So I've been around, I've run and went to school with about seven different groups. I know how they behave. I know that it's amazing how happy you can be in each group. And some of them I don't agree any more than the man in the moon with their theology, but they can't help it that they've been born again. I'm not a Mennonite. I don't, you know, don't wear the, and the German Baptist women wearing their little doilies and stuff. It's sincerely, rigid, strict, this may blow you away. I was happy as a Pentecostal Christian with more absurd rules than you shake a stick at. But I was happy in Jesus because I knew my sins were forgiven. And you know what got me? They were wonderful to be with because I think they acted like they were saved. That They couldn't spell eternal security. They don't believe half the stuff we believe. Didn't keep them from enjoying what they did believe. I've seen the crowd sometimes that increases in knowledge and decreases in joy. If you're not getting happier with what you're learning, you're not learning the right stuff. This stuff's supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to make you have joy. It's supposed to change the way you think. And it won't make you a critic of every other believer. It'll make you start working on your attitude. How's your attitude? Don't work on mine. Only God can straighten me out. You're not big enough. God has a change people because they met a change agent in Jesus. I paid for your sins, but I'm going to start molding you into the conformity to me. I'm going to teach you to love. I'm going to teach you to obey. I'm going to teach you to quit practicing sin. I'm going to turn you inside out before it's all over. And, and ultimately, you'll say, I've been saved by grace. The grace of God did the changing. Are you here? Well, um, I think it's enough to convict us. Um, I would say this. Um, let me ask you a question. Can you be saved and not think you are? Can you be saved but you don't think you are? Can you be that way? Uh, because one thing's interesting, when you're in sin, you lose assurance because your heart starts being condemned. Uh, and that's what First John says, when I'm sinning, my heart starts condemning me. And uh, are, uh, you're not really saved. Uh, you're really not that. And so you struggle. Uh, some are, are so assured they're saved and their life says you need to do a closer exam. It doesn't look like it. 
Uh, and they might be. Sometimes I feel like I need to be a lawyer to figure out if people are really saved. Because this stuff, I raise my hand in junior church, that, that doesn't save you. All right, I prayed a prayer at a Billy Graham. No, that, that doesn't save you. Did you really trust Christ and Christ alone? And has he begun the construction changes in you? I, I love the story, true story, about assurance and security. Uh, J. Vernon McGee tells the story that he hated to fly. Uh, and, of course, he started on twin props way back, not jets. But he hated to fly. But he had a conference to do in Arizona. And going over the uh, Sierra Range and the mountains there, they came into lots of turbulence, and the plane was just, uh, boy, being knocked all over the place. And he said he was, quite frankly, a nervous wreck. He just, you know, if I get off this plane alive, I'll never fly again, this kind of stuff. And, and he was so nervous. But he said to add to it what was so bad is he looked across the aisle, and he saw a guy doing nothing but snoring. He said, he's out. And McGee said, I'm sitting there saying, how in the world can you do this? This is not fair. This is not right. So he's rather irritated. When he got off the plane, he went to the gentleman. And he said, are you aware what we just flew through? Are you aware of the danger we've been in? The, the gentleman said, no, I'm not. He said, man, this plane was jerking around. It was this and that. How in the world did you have the audacity to be sleeping through it? I was a nervous wreck. Oh, the guy said, oh, 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 that's easy, sir. He said, I was a World War II pilot who flew this plane going over Germany. And he said, you ought to fly a plane when bombs are coming and shells are shooting. That. He said, this was nothing. He said, this was like a little stir on the lake. He said, this plane was made for this turbulence. And I want to say to you, if you're struggling with assurance, God wants you to be able to say, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm confident he's able to keep me. And that no matter how bad the storm, if Jesus is your captain, you're going to make it through. He can get you through every storm. And he will keep you when you're in temptation's valley, when the pressures are on you and the devil is saying, you don't know God, you're too dirty to get to heaven, you're too ungodly, you can just say, he said he would justify the ungodly, and I qualify. I'm resting on his word. Cease to rest on your own works and work, and just believe in his work. That's what will get you to heaven.